Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Again, this is mornings with Carmen. Good Friday morning. Carmen will be back on Monday. I'm Paul Perot. I've been filling in the last few days as Carmen recovers from her surgery. Um, maybe you've not noticed it, but I have. Of course, we, I like to start out the show, as Carmen does, talking about our Growing Your Faith verse, which you can find. You can actually subscribe to at MyFaithRadio.com. That way you can get it sent to you via email every day. And today's verse is John 13, 34, and 35, where Jesus is giving the new command. So now I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What is curious to me is we're also, and hopefully you're part of this, are reading the Bible together study that we're urging you to be part of. We started it on Monday. If you're kind of going, well, then it's too late to start. No, Go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up for it. Do it at your own pace. It's a great study as we're going through the book of First Peter. And, you know, I've noticed this several times this week. I haven't talked about it, but what the Growing Your Faith verse talks about is somehow illustrated or expanded upon by what Peter wrote. And this is one of those because our, our verses today is First Peter 3, verses 1 through 12 for our reading the Bible together. And part of it talks about, if you go down to verse 8, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to, and he will grant you his blessing. I, I'm kind of hearing in that phrase, Peter expounding upon what he heard his Lord say when it comes to the new commandment, at least in part. Maybe you hear that too. It's just, it's one of those times your, your mind just kind of goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, when you're, when you're reading the Bible. Well, again, prayers for the people of Ukraine as sometime today, supposedly Russia will declare it's annexing uh, some of the areas of, of uh, Ukraine in their war. Meanwhile, though, Russia may be close to a second major defeat uh, since the Ukrainian counteroffensive near Kharkov. The, the Moscow Times reporting Russian troops have been almost surrounded in the city of Leman, which in the in the uh, Donetsk region, and uh, it looks like they could be another one of those situations where they're kind of routed there. This according to the study of war um, and their fresh report. But again, meanwhile, Russia also pounding Ukrainian cities with missiles and rockets and suicide drones with one strike reportedly killing at least 25 people. Be in prayer for that country. Again, we've talked to many people from there on Mornings with Carmen and our other ministries involved there. Keep the people of Ukraine in your prayers. All right, another interesting uh, 
bit of news I came across now as we're getting ready to talk to Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Next week on Monday and Tuesday... If you're interested in the uh, in Mother Teresa and her life, there will be a film released. I think it's going to be one of those Fathom events. But Mother Teresa, No Greater Love, will be shown in nearly 1,000 locations across the U.S. The film details the life of St. Teresa of Calcutta and her work with missionaries of charity. So something inspiring in the theaters, which is good because we're getting to that time of year when... Let's just say things are not as inspiring. Uh, there's a lot of horror films and monster movies coming out, which brings up the question, especially from a Christian standpoint, are horror movies bad? Adam Holtz is going to help us answer that question. It's a little more complex than you may think. But this is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Hey, Adam Holtz joining us now. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot on Faith Radio. And Adam Holtz from Plugged In, a division of Focus on the Family, uh, helping us have a more Christian worldview approach to how we look at entertainment and movies and such. And, of course, Adam, it's that time of year. We're almost into October, and there's a lot of movies coming out, or at least more movies being available on the streams that are the scary movies, the horror <laughs> movies. That's right. I'll uh, I'll refrain from doing my count impersonation from Sesame Street, but uh, you are right. This is the time of year when horror movies absolutely dominate both streaming and theatrical releases. You you, you uh, mentioned so, the count. Uh, you know, somebody asked some, somebody asked the question of me. Oh, who's your favorite vampire? Said the count from Sesame Street. Oh no 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 no, he doesn't count. Oh yes, assuredly he does count. He does count. He's got fangs. If that you. doesn't make a vampire, I don't know what But does. he counts! Oh, oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, so there I did it. <laughs> Thank you for prompting me to make it happen. <laughs> but, okay, getting to the question at hand here, yeah. as Christians, I mean, horror movies, monster movies, yes. are they are they bad? Are they something we shouldn't see? This, well, this is a little so, more complex. It is, and I'm actually going to use a horror movie metaphor to help answer your question. So and we have a blog on our, our website, by the way, that, that deals with this question written by my my friend and compatriot at Plugged In, Paul AC, and he has some excellent points. I'm going to expound on some of those and add some of my own. You know, back in the day, horror movies were black and white, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easy to, uh, and probably natural, to take a black and white approach to this and say, of course horror movies are bad, right? I mean, right. They involve monsters, they involve killing, they involve violence, they involve horrible things that we don't want to think about. And for many of them, um, they are immediately off the rails in one of those directions in terms of gratuitous content. Um, And I think in the last 20 years or so, really since The Ring came out, we have increasingly seen horror movies Uh, where the bad guys win. And so there's a nihilism there as well. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, there are several layers here that I think um, are interesting to talk about. The first is, almost from the inception, horror movies were a reflection at some level, potentially, of cultural fears. So let's take Invasion of the Body Snatchers back in the 50s, 
was a movie that was intended to reflect our fears about whether there were secret communist agents among us. Uh, Godzilla, the original, the very first Godzilla, was intended to be a commentary on what happens when nuclear weapons are used. It actually, we don't, you may not realize it, but the first Godzilla movie was actually a pretty serious movie. It was. Uh, and, and you can just sort of go down the list. And, and even, even the horror schlock in the 1980s, you know, think Friday the 13th, think Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, think Halloween. There, this is a genre that has always had a strangely deep moral core. You know, back in the day, you knew that the teenagers who were out drinking and fooling around they were going to be the first ones to get killed. Like, and again, it's sort of maybe an Old Testament understanding of morality, but um, that was in, in the mix as well. And, and taking it one step deeper, uh, there's a director, a Christian director named Scott Derrickson. Uh, he did the first Doctor Strange movie. He did the remake of when the, day, uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, probably his most famous horror movie that was uh, something he created was The Possession of Emily Rose, or the exorcism of Emily Rose, excuse me. Um, and Derrickson said early in his career that he chose horror specifically because horror was one of the few genres where you could still deal with good and evil and consequences and questions about eternity. Uh, which, I, again, you can, you can question some of the things he's done, perhaps. Um, one of his first movies was one of the Hellraiser sequels. But I think it's an interesting observation that this is a genre that's still dealing with spiritual issues. And, and that's a whole subset of horror movies, too, is, you know, various kinds of possession and, you know, mm -hmm. those sorts of movies. And there's even one out this week, an R-rated movie that we're not going to talk about called Smile, which I think does raise questions about the spiritual realm. And so um, if you are of a mind to have those conversations... They're there to be had. And right. if you're of a mind to say, yeah, no thanks, I can talk about good and evil without going to a horror movie, I think that's also a very fair, valid, yeah. uh, valid response. But I think especially if you've got teenage boys especially can really gravitate toward these things. And if you've got a 16, 17, 18-year-old boy, there might be an opportunity for conversation with some of these films that um, that's available to you in a way that that, you know, other opportunities for conversation about spiritual things aren't. So uh, this is not an apologetic for horror movies no. as much as it is, is just recognizing there may be more going on with this genre than we realize. Yeah. I, Mary texted in just a bit ago. My questions to help me is how does this honor and glorify God? And does this add value to me? It, it no, that depends. That, it, it's a great question. And, and again, I think, um, we have to, and I'm not even, I'm not even trying to paint with a broad brush and saying all horror movies are created equal. Um, and I think many of them do include images and ideas that are just totally out of bounds. So mm -hmm. again, hear me, I, I'm not saying go start to see horror movies. Um, but like the, the exorcism of Emily Rose is based on a real event that happened in Germany, I think in the early 1970s where, there was an exorcism that went awry and a woman died and there was a court case. Mm -hmm. And the court case turned on the question of whether she was mentally ill 
or whether she was really being spiritually harassed and how do you prove that in court? Yeah. And so it's a really interesting film saying our worldview really depends or our, our worldview, worldview really determines how we see some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, terrifying movie, but one that Scott Derrickson just puts the question out there and he doesn't really try to answer it. So yeah. that was an interesting film, albeit one that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking with Adam Holtz from Plugged In, and okay, uh, not only do the horror movies come out, but so do the moncoms, monster <laughs> comedies, or something Love like that. that. And there's a few of those the new ones this year we'll briefly touch on. Plus, is Surrey making your kids surly? Yeah, that and more as Mornings with Carmen continues here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Ah, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot filling in one more time for Carmen. She should be back on Monday. Hey, Adam, I just got a note from Reverend Castro. He says, you know, as a pastor... Serving youth, he felt called back in 1999 to see many of these movies because his students were seeing them, and yeah. so he he's it's he he knew from he had that mindset. Okay, I want to know what my kids are exposed to and how I can be in dialogue with them. That's so, right, and and it's all there's a, there's a lot of contextual conversation here. So, right. um, you know, as I said, it's not. I'm going to go out and see horror movies because that's a really great, you know, devotional. No, <laughs> no, no, no. But there might there might be more there than you realize, yeah. and some fodder for real conversation. Right. Well, let's turn our attention. Uh, like I said, not only are the horror movies coming up, but more moncoms, the monster comedies, and there's two new ones that have been put up on streaming. One is the Monsters. The Monsters. So yeah, the monsters are back on Netflix, and weirdly enough, this movie is directed by a guy named Rob Zombie. And Rob Zombie, if you are not a heavy metal aficionado, uh, has a band, and and his stuff is really dark. Yeah, uh, his one of his last horror movies was called The Devil's Rejects, and it was as dark as it gets. It's like Halloween on steroids, right? Um, this movie, surprisingly. It's just a pretty fun send-up of the original monsters, and apart from the monsteriness and sort of a very thin veneer of some of the magical and mystical and vaguely occult stuff, it doesn't have a ton of problems. There, actually, some of the biggest problems here are a few of the jokes and gags have some some sexual innuendo that and double entendres that parents will probably get, the kids probably won't, and so. It's very strange for me to say this, but we were we breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief that Rob Zombie's version of the Munsters uh, wasn't very much like what Rob Zombie has done in the past. 
and was relatively true to the spirit of the thing. All right. Let's quickly turn to Hocus Pocus 2. Now, I remember watching Hocus Pocus 1. It wasn't one of my favorite moncoms by any stretch, but they re-upped it. I would like to find anybody who signed the petition for a sequel to Hocus Pocus 29 years later. (laughs) Uh, And basically, this is about three witch sisters, one of which is played by Bette Midler, another by Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, the third is an actress I'm, I'm not familiar with. Um, but they, uh, they basically show up every now and then and uh, try to kill teenagers. And, yeah. and it's played as a comedy, um, unless anybody think, okay, Adam has gone crazy talking about seeing horror movies for spiritual reasons. This movie is chock full of romanticized occultism from start to finish. And frankly, even though I would say horror movies have the the potential to generate spiritual conversations, uh, yeah, I wouldn't put this one on the list. I would say hard pass on Hocus Pocus 2, which is streaming on Disney+. Plus. All right. We only have a few minutes left, but I want you to touch on this. As something, an article I saw I shared with you, yeah. we talk about how our technology is influencing our kids and their development, and that's a lot to do with media. And let me preface this by saying, a few days ago, my wife had to make a phone call to her financial company, and, and instead of having that nice cheery, your call is important to us. We'll be with you in just a few months. It, it wasn't that. It was a... <laughs> you missed was, your calling, Paul. You could have been doing that. I know. But what she got was, your call is important to us. I mean, it was, it was a Surrey voice. <laughs> it was a Surrey voice. It's like, really? Okay, but how is that affecting our kids who are spending so much time on their devices? Well, you know, these digital assistants, Siri, Alexa, uh, Cortana, I think, is Microsoft's. It's in the mix. They operate by voice activation, and their entire premise is you have basically voice activation to do searches for things. A lot of times people use them for, you can use them for music, you can use them for audio content uh, that you want broadcast over, you know, the speakers. But basically, they're sort of, you could also think of them as like, and I don't want to step on any toes here. They're sort of like digital indentured servants, right? You don't have to treat them very well. Hey, Siri, you know, play Michael Buble or, you know, whatever. (laughs) That's the first artist that popped to mind. And so basically you're barking orders to these things. And this study basically said, uh, you know, when we're conditioning kids to give orders and get an instant response, it is potentially undermining their relationships and their respect for parents and they can uh, they don't get confused per se, but some of those bad habits can transfer over. And the study goes on to say that one of the other significant components in communication is nonverbal communication. And so when we're talking to a digital assistant, obviously there's no nonverbal communication at all. It's purely verbal, and so it may be impeding uh, children's emotional and relational and social development. Because all they do is wander around, you know, yelling orders to the digital assistant to do stuff for them. And as soon as I read the article, I'm like, wow, that should have been self-evident to all of us. But I had never thought about it before, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Admittedly, though, I'm still one of those. If I asked Siri on my iPhone to do something, I will say thank you back. I don't know what it is with me. That's funny. I We don't have any of the ones that, like, sit in your room. No, I don't have uh, that either. 
I just, I don't, um, the whole thing kind of creeps me out a little bit. I, I just, I don't know. I don't like the idea of something just sitting around listening to me all the time. And I know there's a lot of evidence that our phones do that anyway. So I suppose that's not any different, but, uh, anyway, that's my old, I'm a little bit old fashioned, a little bit of a Luddite, uh, or Luddite. <laughs> I'm not sure how you say it <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> You're old fashioned. We'll just, we'll just leave it right we'll there. Stop there. We'll, we'll stop, stop right there. And actually we have to stop right here because we've got to move on. But Adam, thanks again for joining us here on mornings with Carmen. You bet, Paul. We'll talk with you next week. I'm Paul Pro. This is Faith Radio, and it's time for Breakpoint. So we are called to make disciples who live out the gospel. I'm Paul here on, on Faith Radio, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen. Maybe your church has a lot of great, you know, Sunday school classes. You have a great worship uh, time, you know, good worship singer, great preaching. And it's good, but then is there a detachment as to what you're doing on Sunday and what's happening through your church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I want to talk about that. The discipleship issues, and some have called it a discipleship crisis. There's a pastor I got to know a little while ago. Um, his name is Ryan Ellington. And he's part of a church revitalization, and part of the revitalization is bringing a new direction to their discipleship plan, their discipleship map. We're going to talk to him about that in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks again for listening to Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. Good Friday morning. I'm Paul Perot, filling in for Carmen this week. She'll be back on Monday. I know one of the things we've talked about many times is the issue of discipleship. How are people spiritually formed, I guess is the best way of saying it, to be more like Christ, to walk in his ways, to be his disciples. I mean, that's what Jesus talked about, make disciples of people of all nations, right? Uh, you know, sometimes it's hard. And there's been what many consider the discipleship crisis where churches are trying, but something's not sinking. And then you have people who are falling out the back door, becoming nuns. Okay, we, we could go into all that. And there's a lot of hand-wringing. There's been a lot of books on it. And then there are pastors and churches that are looking at the situation and trying to do something about it. And I want to talk to one of those pastors right now. His name is Ryan Eddington. He's the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church down in Lewisburg, North Carolina. Ryan, thanks for joining this me this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Oh, you're welcome. Now, I, I found out about you actually some time ago because you've been part of a website that I, I like going to. It, it's a, I guess the best way I can describe it is looking at news and other stuff happening in the world from a, a, a Christian a social, not social, but social thought, Christian social, social thought, how the gospel, how the Bible applies to how we live our lives. And then I got to seeing one of your sermons recently where you're trying to tackle this thing because you've seen your church struggle. You've been sent there to revitalize it. And that's where we want to start the discussion, really. So as we look at your church, uh, Zion Mountain Baptist, tell us about your church. And what were you seeing were the issues in your congregation and its engagement with each other, with the community and the world? 
I should start out by saying from the very, very beginning, it was a wonderful church full of wonderful people. Uh, I walked in there and before I noticed any of the issues, I noticed all of the, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but but all, all of the, the gloriously good things about the church. The people were profoundly loving. There was so much potential there. These were people that I I wanted to spend the rest of my lives with. But amidst all of that, there was this very persistent problem that I I had a hard time identifying at first, but I think it, it really boils down to a sense of purposelessness and missionlessness and, and, and directionlessness. I think actually, like most of the churches of America, we were a church filled with people who were passionate about the gospel and wanted to follow the Lord's direction, but had absolutely no idea what that direction might be or how to go about it. Uh, from the, the foundation of our church, like probably most of the churches in America, rather than having been founded as a missional church, we were founded as what I would call a family chapel. Have you ever heard that term before? Not that. I've heard of missional, so you might want to give us definitions for both of those. Sure. Yeah. So a a missional church is a church that you found specifically as a group of people who are meant to to step into God's mission in the world. Like you said at the beginning, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, starting with your immediate community. That's a missional church. A family chapel is just about the furthest thing from a missional church. Okay. Family Chapel typically is a a church that was founded usually a a few hundred years ago by a few extended families that needed a place to dedicate their babies, do wedding ceremonies, and do funerals. You would have services every single Sunday, but the, the primary draw was we're getting the whole family together every Sunday. And so the primary way that a a family chapel would grow was by having babies and having people marry into the family. Know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. All right. So that, okay. So a lack of vision as far as their engagement in the community. And how did you see that you saw that happening and what were you trying to help your congregation do? We're going to get to some of the, to the nuts and bolts, but what I, I guess it comes down to as as a pastor and you you leading the congregation, what was the vision you had for your community? What were the needs you saw? Hey, we could be part of that. Kind of give me a view of that. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, I stepped into Mount Zion and I looked around and I saw an entire community. It's in the town of Lewisburg and kind of the surrounding wooded area. I saw this entire community of people where almost nobody was part of any church at all. Mm. Almost nobody was part of really any kind of Christian community. It's the the buckle of the Bible belt, you know, we're North Carolina. And so everybody identifies as Christian, but but nobody really has any kind of working definition for that. And so as a church, part of what we're called to do is to, to find these people, gather them together with us and, and plug them into God's mission in the world, uh, to, to go and find the lost and to, to see them reconciled to God through 
Jesus Christ. But because we were a family chapel for, for 170 years running, we couldn't see past the, the extended family out to the, the kind of fruitful harvest of strangers that the Lord was, was sending us to, if that makes sense. And so I spent the first few years sort of banging my head against the wall, trying to cast this vision of Mount Zion, not as a weekly family reunion, although that's good, but casting the vision of Mount Zion as a, a, a vehicle that God uses to carry the good news of Jesus out into the community and then to, to build those people into faithful disciples. All right. And I'm going to link uh, this in our show notes, but a sermon you gave that kind of kicked off what you're trying to do right now. It was a sermon entitled Trading Our Discipleship Menu for God's Discipleship Plan. Now, discipleship is key here. And I'd love to hear your first your definition of what discipleship is. Yeah, I would say so. I think Jesus defines discipleship more or less right there in Matthew 28 when he delivers that great commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he, he says to go and make disciples. And then I think he tells us how to make disciples. First things first, you, you bring them into the faith. You, you share the good news with them. And that results in them becoming part of God's family, God's kingdom, God's church. You baptize them into God's people. Then you teach them to obey everything that he's commanded us. Jesus has has given us a a very specific way of life that he's called us to live. He's he's sent us on a a very specific type of mission. And I I think that making a disciple or, or discipling someone is just growing them deeper and deeper, further and further into that lifestyle Jesus has called us to, deeper and deeper into that faith that he's called us to, if, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, makes perfect sense. And, okay, we're going to have to take a break, but we want to continue in just a few moments. This, I'm talking with Ryan Eddington. He's pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. I almost want to say Louisville. I know that's not right at all, <laughs> Ryan. But when we come back, you you made a pivotal a pivotal statement in the sermon that, again, we're going to highlight in the show notes, but it has to do with having, a lot of churches have a discipleship menu, but they don't, aren't following God's discipleship plan. So we'll continue this conversation. I'm Paul Perot, filling in for Carmen today on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Okay, does your church have a nice bunch of programs? You can go through the menu. You know, maybe it's at the in the church bulletin, all the things you can be uh, doing during the week. Hey, I'm Paul on Faith Radio, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen, talking right now with Ryan Eddington of Mount Zion Baptist Church in North Carolina. And we were talking about his churches pivot to a new way of doing discipleship from what they have been doing. And, and Ryan, getting back to the sermon, you were talking about a discipleship menu in your sermon. 
trying to get away from that to going to a God's discipleship plan. Now, explain what you mean by the menu. Yeah, yeah. So this actually goes a little bit along with what we were talking about before. Having been sort of founded as a as a family chapel that didn't really have a clear missional purpose, we were doing all kinds of programs. We had all kinds of ministries, and every single one of them was good on their own, but they weren't really clearly connected to each other, and they didn't have a clear purpose in our church's overall uh, direction or, or mission. And so just like as a case in point, like most churches, our church week looked like this. You get there on Sunday morning. What do you do first? You go to Sunday school and what happens? You, you listen to a lecture for about an hour, right? Mm-hmm. You go onto the main service and you, you sit there for about an hour and you listen to another lecture, usually a lecture that has nothing directly to do with the Sunday school lecture. Then what do you do Sunday night? You come back to the church again, and you listen to a third lecture for the day, usually one that doesn't have anything directly to do with the first two lectures. Then what do you do on Wednesday night? You come back to the church again, and you listen to a fourth lecture that has nothing directly to do with those first three lectures. Then a lot of times in most churches, you you split up into men's ministry and women's ministry. and The men have a fifth lecture. The women have a fifth lecture. And you just keep on doing this again and again and again until by the end of the week, you've had your people spend hours and hours and hours in in the church, at church events, doing church programs, and every single one of them is good, but there's no clear connection, and none of them are actually doing anything to move the dial of your church's mission in the world, and most importantly, none of them are doing anything lasting, really, to grow your people into the mission that God has called them to, to prepare them for the mission that he's called them to. So a discipleship menu essentially is just a a litany of different programs and ministries that are good, but have no clear discipleship or missional purpose. Mm, Okay. I I can kind of hear where you're going because I've been in churches like that where, yeah, you just go there and you listen and there's no plan. I, I, I guess I go back to Jesus. I look at what he did with his disciples and that rabbinic way of doing things. It wasn't just listen to what I say. Here's what you learn. Now go do. Do this. Hear this. Go do. Go Hear this. Go do. There, there's more of an action and a, and a vision as to what you're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you wanted to move people from the menu to God's discipleship plan. Now, I know you've already kind of hinted at that before, but for you, what was the discipleship plan, God's discipleship plan? Yeah, it seems like... It seems like if you if you trek through the four gospels and if you trek through the book of Acts and then from there, if you trek through really the rest of the New Testament, rather than this kind of menu that we're, we're used to in the American church, there was a sort of map that people could follow or like you said, kind of a, a plan or a pathway. You see Jesus going out into the world in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he would go out to the unbelieving masses. You could call them the crowd. I'm a Baptist. We love to alliterate. It's kind of annoying. (laughs) It'll get stuck in your head. But he would go out to the unbelieving 
crowds and he would share the good news. And when he would share the good news with the unbelieving crowds, some of those people would believe they would place their faith in him and they would start following him to listen to him preach and teach every week. And so whenever somebody came over and started following him to listen to him preach and teach each week, they became part of what you could call his congregation. Remember, alliteration. But within that congregation, Jesus took 12 men and he, he specially invested in them in a, a kind of a relational way. He really invested in their, their lives. Uh, you could call the, the 12 disciples sort of the first community group. But then even then within that, that community group of the 12 disciples, he would take three or four. Uh, it it kind of depends on how you read the four gospels, but uh, Peter, James, John, and, and maybe Andrew. And it seems like he invested even more heavily in them specifically to prepare them for leadership. And so you see the, the crowd to congregation, to community, to core pipeline or, or map or pathway developing just there in the ministry of Jesus. And you see that same thing happening as you read the book of Acts. They, they would gather the whole congregation of people who'd placed their faith in Jesus together in the, the, the temple in Solomon's portico there in Jerusalem, uh, or in the lecture hall of, of Tyrannus there in Ephesus later in Acts. But then they would meet from house to house in smaller community groups. And then from there, within those smaller community groups, the leaders there would take people under their wing, people like Priscilla and Aquila or Apollos or Timothy or others, and they would specially prepare them for spiritual leadership. Now, I think where we make the mistake with our discipleship menu is we assume that all of this is supposed to be kind of a, a professionalized process where everybody who's meant to take up some form of spiritual leadership is supposed to go off to seminary or something like that. And that's, that's good. But it seems like the vision that the New Testament is casting is that spiritual leadership is the destination that every single believer ultimately arrives in. And the way that we do that is by bringing them to faith and then bringing them into the congregation, then gathering them in a small group of other believers within the congregation that they really invest their lives with. And then from there, gathering them under the, the mentorship of a more mature believer who specially prepares them for spiritual leadership. So then they can go back out into the unbelieving crowds, no longer as the unbeliever they once were, but now as someone who's sharing the good news themselves so that they can go from the congregation to the community group, to the core, and then around and around. It's a, a never-ending kind of map or pipeline or, or pathway. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it, it seems like it's geared for growth. It's geared to yeah. build people up, send them out. Build people up, send them out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know you're really early on this. Uh, I just got to ask, how when you first brought the sermon and uh, the subsequent ones to your congregation, what has been the response? The response has actually been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, it's it's hard to tell just looking at the the one sermon, but this is kind of the the culmination of of years of investment. I've I've been at the church for about three and a half years. There's something called the five year rule where they say it takes about five years on average for you to really really become the pastor. The 
leader, the influencer in your congregation. And I, I found that to be true. You can't just come in right away gung-ho and say, okay, we're throwing away our discipleship menu. We're picking up a discipleship map. You have to, to really intentionally invest in the lives of the people, show them that you care, show them they can trust you, show them that you're sticking around. Uh, and, and slowly people come to to let their guard down a little bit. They come to, to put their trust in you. They, they start following behind you in a way that's not possible right away. And so we've been very slowly laying the groundwork of this sort of discipleship map or pathway or pipeline, just one little piece at a time over the last three and a half years. And so by the time we get to this sermon, it's less of a, here's what we're going to start doing now it's more of a, here's what we've been doing and what we're going to continue doing. Now we're going to put a very clear name and label on it. Mm. And so it was a positive response. Yeah, that is. And you just were touching on something we've mentioned many times to show the importance of, of a relationship in growing people. You can't just come in and preach a lecture. You got to have a relationship. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're out of time on this, but hey, Ryan, I'm going to try and follow and see how things go uh, down with your church. Again, Mount Zion Baptist Church. I did see you had a website, mountzionbaptistchurch.wordpress.com, where people can connect or heckle you. I saw that on the little menu. (laughs) That's true. I love to be heckled. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) Well, Ryan, thanks again for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Paul. This is Faith Radio. This is Mornings with, well, without Carmen this last time. Carmen plans to be back on Monday, and it'll be good to have her back in after the surgery she had earlier this week. Keep her in prayer, still dealing with some pain. It's one of those situations where she doesn't want to do any sudden moves, uh, turning her head or anything like that, because it can cause pain. But she is getting better, and she is appreciative of your prayers. Well, she usually ends out her show with a Friday farm report. Well, I don't have a farm, but I do have a porch. I do have a deck, and I have some planters out there, and I've been doing some deck gardening. And, you know, it was going great. I was getting some tomatoes, and I have some, but, okay, I live up in Minnesota, and it got cold this week. As a matter of fact, um, we had frost in the Twin Cities back, I think it was Wednesday morning, and... Most of my tomato plants, I had three. The two of them, yeah, they didn't make it, but there are still tomatoes on them. Those look good, apart from the fact they're still green. I'm not a fried green tomato eater. So those are uh, sitting on the table right now, and hopefully they'll ripen. It's also some peppers. I love my peppers. Uh, you know, just bell peppers, not the not the really spicy ones. I just like a good bell pepper in my salad and, and such, or in eggs. And I got a few of those sitting also. Uh, the other ones are going to be gone, unfortunately. But otherwise, you know, it's looking good. Oh, the one tomato plant that didn't was a small uh, grape tomato plant. And for some reason, that did not get frostbit. And so those are still going, so I'm hoping for some more of those. But, yeah, that's I, I do a little bit of gardening because I don't have a big garden. I just I live in a townhome. I have a deck. 
You can still do stuff on the deck. I also got some uh, herbs and such uh, through the years, and especially a lot of chives. But Well, again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen. As always, all these shows are podcasted. You can find them at MyFaithRadio.com. The show notes, if you go to the website, you can get the show notes. Or if you're subscribed to us through like Spotify or uh, um, Apple Podcast, you'll see the show notes there as well. You can hear the audio on our, on our app the Faith Radio app, as well as the other podcasts of our other shows as well, and listen to the live stream right there, too. Well, I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for joining us. This is Faith Radio. See you on Monday. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.